from the number one best-selling author of Life Rescripted. You're now tuning in to the Year of Purpose podcast. I'm Zephan Moses Blacksburg. I'm here with Karin, and Karin is a number one best-selling Indian novelist with more than 200,000 copies of his novels in print, both option and major films. His first worldwide novel, The Yoga of Max's Discontent, will be published by Random House on May 3rd, and the book called The Siddhartha of Our Generation by the Daily Telegraph was inspired by his one-year sabbatical traveling from Europe to India by road and learning yoga and meditation in the Himalayas. Thanks so much for being here today, Karen. Thank you, Zifan. It's a pleasure. So I'd love to just give people a little bit more background because I know that you worked at companies like Procter & Gamble and the Boston Consulting Group. You are also named among AdAge's top 40 under 40 executives in the United States. So where did your story really begin? Did you go to school and then right out of school get a corporate job or how did that work for you? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in India and I went to school in India, business school in India, and then I started with Procter & Gamble in Philippines. And then with Procter & Gamble, I moved from Philippines to Singapore, to Europe, to India. So I've been like, you know, uh, in corporate jobs with Procter & Gamble, then with the Boston Consulting Group, then with Kraft Foods, uh, while having a parallel uh, foray into writing fiction. Interesting. So it sounds like a lot of things changed for you where you started to transition out of the corporate world and into writing. Where did you first discover that writing was such an important thing for you? That's a great question, Zifan. Actually, I have never transitioned out of the corporate world. So I think that's a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a little different versus most people. So what I do is uh, kind of an interesting model, which is I, I have a 414 model is how I call it. I work for four years and then take a year off, then come back again and work for four years and then take a year off. Huh. And and so I've been kind of doing that for the last, call it more than a decade, so last 13 years. So I've done it three times in the last uh, 12 or 13 years uh, because uh, for many reasons, you know, it's helped me obviously balance a corporate career with my creative pursuits. But I think it's also been very, I guess, fulfilling mentally because the year that I take off is almost very antithetical to the four years that I work. So in the four years that I work, whether it's on the job or my writing, I'm very left brain and analytical and goal driven and want to accomplish a lot and want to keep growing and in the year that I take off I consciously become goalless you know and I try to like completely make decisions out of intuition uh, like you know so for instance like in the last sabbatical we went from Europe to India by road with no plans at all like we just took a flight to Scotland which was the cheapest flight from New York and we and we were just like, whatever the road tells us, we'll kind of do. So we met people who, like, you know, we liked. And we went to with them to Bulgaria for two, three weeks. And then, like, it was just like, whatever, whatever would happen. Like, I just kind of consciously trained myself to become very intuitive during that period. Uh, which in turn helps me when I come back, whether it's my job or my writing. It actually, that year of, I won't call it unplugging because I'm still working. Mm-hmm. But I'm working in a very different way. Like, I'm not, I'm kind of consciously goalless. I'm also stripping myself of a lot of, I would say, emotional materialism, because I think people like us, you know, Zifan, have figured out that physical materialism, like houses and cars don't mean much. But but what we've replaced it with is this constant desire to grow, you know, to like read a lot, to meet great people, to push ourselves to growth. And I, in that year off, I also let go of this emotional materialism. I'm just like, I read one or two books for the whole year. And I'm just kind of like trying to tap within myself to come up with my like ideas and solutions. I'm not looking for anything in the world to tell me 
so so it's kind of like it's good that yin and yang is allowing me to like have my corporate career have my writing career and also be able to like like explore new facets that i don't even know exist about myself you know yeah absolutely yeah, and yeah. it's so interesting to see how you can change mindsets you know and go from this four years of working extremely hard being right. extremely focused and then having almost like a year off where it's a totally different mindset for you um what are you seeing change in your life and in your work now because you're doing that i know that for me when i go take a vacation it does wonders for me i mean to go back to work i'm revitalized i'm energized i'm ready to go again i've had my break and then it's time to jump back in on my projects what does that do for you when you're taking such a long period of time you know i feel like four years is quite a long time to be working without much of a break but i'm sure knowing that you've got a whole year ahead of you as your break uh, makes all the difference as opposed to a weekend trip or a week-long trip somewhere yeah very well said i think that that's very true because i think you knowing that a year is coming it allows you to both i guess mentally be ready for it and also physically you make sure that you have your savings and all that stuff you know like it's it's very it anchors you a lot to know that that's coming but to answer your question the the two or three things that i see myself get very good at once i come back from the year is one i'm much more intuitive and creative versus mm-hmm. versus rational and logical and i think uh because my kind of instinct is to be very logical and i think like that year of like if you will letting go and like just being creative or just being spontaneous helps me come back with a less rigidity and more spontaneity in my i guess choices and whether it's my work or my writing then the other thing i've noticed is that um in the year we are also like my wife and i we just did that uh, like a couple of years ago we are also very conscious about uh like living this life of kind of willful poverty if you will of like consciously stripping our life of all comfort so like this time we spent 4 5 months in an ashram in the himalayas like kind of living sleeping on floors in the ashram like you know like uh, cold showers every day in the up in the mountains so it's a very physically austere life i think what helps what makes what helps me with that is that once i come back i'm much more risk friendly like i never make decisions out of material comfort or physical comfort at all if you will like because i know that i i don't need much i just need a backpack and like i can like i i like i don't need much so that allows me to like just give my career like be very um pure in my profession you know like mm-hmm. i i need nothing from my profession apart from fulfillment as a person and a contribution to the organization so i think that kind of purity again in the work helps me be very honest so i don't have that urge to okay now let me become an entrepreneur or let me do this now because that i guess that urge to become goes away a little bit i'm very like i'm here let me contribute i don't need anything from this whole uh like you know relationship apart from like contributing my best and i think that kind of purity is also what i return with which is good It's interesting to hear you bring up, you know, just needing nothing but a backpack. You know, that's something that I've worked towards over the last 6 to 12 months has been when I travel places now for the most part, all I really need is a backpack with just a few things in it. And I've realized I'm not really as materialistic as I used to be at one point in time. Now, leading up to being able to take a 12 month sabbatical from from work in your career uh, you probably have a lot of things that you need to do or put in a place leading up to that for example saving up money or planning or preparing uh, what are some of the things that you have to do to set yourself up so that you're good for those 12 months when you're ready to go 
Great question, Zifan. I think the first thing, obviously, you rightly said is uh, money, but uh, but money is an interesting one. So let me share some thoughts on that because uh, I always plan, right, that in the year of I will not make any money, right? That's my going in assumption. Now, now, like if you kind of live in this willful poverty, you are getting rid of emotional materialism. If you're consciously goalless, if you follow some of these principles, you end up spending very less, right? So for the whole year that I was off. Uh, for two people, my wife and I, I think we spent $13,000 a person in very practical terms. Wow. Just because when you're living in India in an ashram, it's a deep experience and yet it doesn't cost anything. If you're going from Europe to India by road in very, like we didn't take a single flight, right? So we were just taking buses and ferries and I guess walking, hiking a lot. When you do that, again, you're not spending too much money. But having said that, the more important point was that the the money thing is funny because in each of my sabbaticals, what I've noticed is that once I come back from it, in call it in six months, the sabbatical more than pays for itself. So in this 12 months that I took off, I wrote a novel, obviously, and Random House publishes the novel in May, uh, The Yoga of Max's Discontent, and they gave me a six-figure advance for it. So if I look at the economics of my sabbatical, I took a year off, spent, call it 25000 between me and my wife, and I came back with like a six-figure deal from Random House. So it actually pays for itself. The same thing happened in my second book. Uh, like or in my second sabbatical, I, I wrote a book which did very well in India. And then I also came back to actually uh, like accelerated in my career because of the, I guess, just the, just being better, making better choices at work. So in a way, the finances almost take care of themselves. Not that you should plan for it, but 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 it do, they do like kind of seem to work out each time because you're improving and growing as a person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's so. amazing. It's like you are getting paid to take a year off. Yes, and it doesn't work in very uh, in the same linear fashion. So it's not like it's immediate. Like like you know, you're writing something. It doesn't mean that the return will come immediately, but it does seem to come back. Yeah, you know, like almost like the I guess the universe is rewarding you for or whatever if you if you believe in all this. But in some form, I guess the world is rewarding you for growing as an individual in a way that you perhaps wouldn't have grown if you had continued the comfort of your life. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. In working a job, you know, I'm just curious for some of the people listening right now, uh, how do you convince your job to let you take a year off? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. One, obviously you have to be good at your work, which I think many people are when they know that they have a limited window. Like for instance, I know when I take on a job or I continue that I have a three, four year window before I like will start asking for a year off. So so in that period, obviously, I'm very committed. But, you know, in general, also, I'm committed. More importantly, I think what I've seen work is that when people are very clear, tangible and measurable about their goals from a sabbatical. So if you go to your boss and say, uh, I want to learn yoga in an ashram for four months then i want to hike the camino de santiago for three months because these are important to me for xyz reasons your chances of a sabbatical get like people support people rally behind goals you know and people don't rally behind oh i don't know i'm i want to take a year off to figure things out like that's too like vague a pitch so my advice always is figure out your plan like share a goal that people can rally behind and support you for 
versus being indecisive and a little bit like weak about asking for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I think that it's super important to stay confident in what you're asking for. That was one of the big things that I always remembered from uh, even just when I was in college and I decided I wanted to produce a feature film. You know, I went to every single professor in our department and they basically said, there's no way you can make a feature film in a year. Until finally I said, here's how I'm going to do it. Here's what's going to happen. All I need is for you to agree and sign off on it. And uh, that was the one person who said, okay. Wonderful. So the specificity helped you a lot, basically, the the being very specific about how you'd accomplish the project. And I think yeah. being very firm about it too, yeah, you know, standing yeah. firm in what you really want to do and achieve. Great point. I think that's a, that's very well said, yeah. Now, I'm sure that taking a one-year sabbatical off isn't for everyone. I'm sure that uh, plenty of people would love to even just have a week off from their work. If we took some of the things that you've learned from your past trips, how could we apply them to, let's say, a one-week off and get the most out of our time away from work? Great question, Zifan, because I actually believe that those 10-day vacations are actually building the muscle for you to start asking for a longer time off because um, like if you use those 10-day vacations in a way that you start realizing has a very deep effect on your life, on your soul, you start like pushing yourself to longer and longer vacations. And I think the best way to do that is like, like as an overall principle, any vacation, any break, which kind of dissolves your mind and not just like gives you a physical uh, change in environment. I think that's for me is a true vacation, right? So what I've seen people do in the US is uh, like is that they like they they go from like where they are to a resort in Hawaii. And now that's a good physical environment, but you're not really taking an escape from your habits, your pattern, your mental conditionings. So what I recommend instead is like take vacations that are that like dissolve the mind. So for example, a 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat. So I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a 10 day silent retreat, rigorous, very intense from four o'clock in the morning till 10 in the night, you are taught meditation. Wow. And you don't speak for nine out of those 10 days. So you're completely silent and you have only two meals a day uh, and you keep meditating from basically four o'clock on the, um, in the morning till 10 in the night on a very rigid clock. Now it's tough, but once you emerge out of the vacation, you've emerged a, uh, different person than the one who left. I'm sure a I lot know, happens, you know, in your mind yeah. too, staying quiet for so long. I mean, so many thoughts have to come up. Exactly. So much, like so much, so many thoughts, so many deep rooted things that you're avoiding start to come up and then you start to like kind of either deal with them or at least know that they existed and are blocking you in some form. So, so there's a lot of stuff that happens, which I think now compare that to like just going to Hawaii and doing kind of the same things that you're doing in a, in a, in a, like more pleasant environment, you just don't have that kind of like a dissolution of the self, which I think is a great thing a vacation can do. The other thing is that I know you like are into the Iron Man and stuff. You've been like, I, I feel like physical vacations, not not the inaccessible kind, not going and running like a, I don't know, like an extreme race if you're not capable, like, you know, if you don't have the physical ability to do it. But like, for instance, climbing Kilimanjaro, mm-hmm. like it's so accessible to climb Kilimanjaro and Machu Picchu. Once you go there, they're very cheap to do. They're less than $1,000 once you actually get there. Then uh, you're like for five, six days that you're climbing Kilimanjaro, it's very, everybody can do it. You see very old people do it as well. And and in that like five, six day vacation, you're completely in the zone of like, just focusing on one step after the other 
because it's tough, but not so tough that it breaks you, but it's tough enough that for five days you're completely breaking all mental conditioning and just one step in front of the other step. Right. And again, you come back, you've dissolved a part of yourself and a new kind of uh, thing has emerged. And you start doing that and you start realizing that, look, like I'm learning so much from these experiences that what if I did instead of like a 60 Kilimanjaro, now let me do a 30-day hike through Camino de Santiago and now let me do instead of a 10-day meditation let me spend three months in an ashram so you start like start thinking uh, like you know that you start pushing the zone a little bit even more and and that's how you build the muscle I think and I think that you brought up a really important point there which was that a lot of people are looking for a change or a transformation but they make the mistake of thinking that that's just going to happen when they change their location uh, they never really get away from their mind and what's going on up in their head exactly. and I think so it's so important to note that uh, just changing your physical location isn't exactly the answer but putting yourself into a circumstance where you can really get inside and into your head and sit there with what's going on up there I think that that's where the change happens. Exactly, exactly. So let's go ahead and move forward a little bit and talk about how does one get to be published by such a huge company uh, working with Random House and getting uh, an advance for writing a book? What does it take to become an author uh, like that where you can connect with such large companies and actually create a career out of it? A uh, good question, and I think it's actually different for fiction versus nonfiction. So I think that's the first distinction. Mm. Uh, for nonfiction, honestly, what you need is really the number one thing that you need is a platform, right? Like if you have a like like a like like you have a podcast which has hundreds of thousands of listeners. If you have a natural platform, publishers like that. And then the second thing they like is that you have a very unique, distinctive take on something. So if you're the hundredth person to come in with follow your dreams then obviously there is no market for that or like or there's no distinctive space for that but if you're coming back with a provocative point of view that i believe that nobody should follow their dreams or whatever like whatever like you know if you have a completely antithetical provo provocative point of view so the combination of a provocative point of view with the platform is the non-fiction kind of like space and for fiction it's actually very different is that you and then also non-fiction is sold on a proposal not on the full book right so the good part is that you don't have to kind of spend all your energy writing a book which never gets published. Right, you just have uh, to have the idea. You have to have the idea, you have to have a 30-page proposal and a marketing plan and honestly nobody looks at the marketing plan if you are uh, <laughs> like an established figure, right? Like nobody's looking at Hillary Clinton's marketing plan. She already has a marketing plan inbuilt because of being who she is, for instance. Right. For fiction, it's very different in the sense you have to write the whole manuscript and and really in fiction although a platform is good if it you if you have one but truly it's the strength of the idea and the strength of the execution of the idea it's the novel really essentially and uh, and 40% of novelists every year are debut novels so they so like like the industry is i guess it's tough to break in but it is open to new voices which are completely it's almost delinked from having a platform and stuff like that so it's almost a little bit different for each you know yeah, totally. And yeah. it's so interesting to see how you've combined so many different things. You know, I, I think yoga is a huge thing for you now, being able to take these sabbaticals, uh, being able to write books, yeah, 
about your trips and also come back to a job. It seems like you've really been able to uh, take your life in so many different directions. How do you stay focused when you're at work? What are some of the things that you're doing to make sure that you stay on task? Because I'm sure there's a lot of ideas that come up for you. Yeah, uh, that's true. And I think what's helped me, Zifan, obviously is, as, as I said, this year off is always very good for me because I think what I've seen is that people, they put too much of a burden in them on themselves to figure out what is my purpose in life. And then they make very radical decisions, right? They are lawyers who quit law and then become self-help coaches. You know, they go very radical moves. And I'm not a radical move kind of a guy. I'm more of a incrementally let me give myself enough space and silence in my life to figure out what I'm like what I'm good at and like what what my natural inclination or tendency is towards and I think that helps me kind of keep evolving a lot so for instance now I know like like you know like I started writing after my first sabbatical now after that I started meditating and doing a lot of yoga now I know again things will go in a different direction but I'm not I never put the burden on myself to be like no oh, now I have to become a meditation teacher or a yoga right. teacher because I don't feel that strong pull from within to become a meditation or a yoga teacher I just know I'm interested in it and maybe five years later I do become one but but I think people put too much of a burden to solve their purpose and go from like point zero to 360 very immediately versus like making this in and out like four years of working one year so I think that helps me to not put any too much pressure on myself to figure things out all the time yeah so I think you brought up a really good point there about you know not putting too much pressure on yourself to figure everything out right away and just look at making smaller changes as you go and trying different things exactly and give yourself enough space to discover facets of yourself I think that's a big thing because I think when you make a radical decision in which you are working very hard as a lawyer and then suddenly you are like, now I'm going to become a life coach, then what's going to happen is that you're going to quit your lawyer job. You'll have a lot of pressure to make money immediately. So you'll become kind of a life coach without you haven't given yourself that space of silence in between to just be like, who am I? Like, just like, like let the, like read a little widely, meditate a lot, like just kind of like have that space in the middle to figure out how like which direction life will orient but to answer your original question on what helps me keep focus i think meditation is a big part of it i think i i think what i've seen is that two things if i'm meditating and if i'm creating then i'm naturally very focused meditating uh in the morning like evening very simple 20 30 minutes of like very concentration based meditation that keeps me very like it doesn't it kind of kills my natural urge to check Facebook and Quora in the middle of work or mm-hmm. like, you know, it just kills that natural urge. So I don't have to like put on productivity tools and like internet blocking software. It's just it's a, <laughs> like, it's a natural instinct is curbed a little bit to kind of go on towards the, like it just keeps me focused. And then the other thing is creation. Like I think if I'm in a creation mode, whether it's writing my blogs or my books on the side with my job, I've realized that creation always purifies me consumption kind of weighs me down like in, in in creation mode I'm very pure you know mm-hmm. and and I think all parts of my life become very pure so I think that's a good imperative to me to always be like creating things so yeah very cool I like that a lot so combining really only two things to get an amazing life would be creativity and meditation right now we talk a lot about meditation we've heard many people bring this up and I think it's becoming even more popular for some people who are purely beginners and have never even tried it before what do you recommend they start with so that if they want to try to 
get that time to themselves and really be there in that silence? Uh, you know, does this mean I should just pull a chair up and sit down or, you know, how can I best uh, get started with that? Yeah, a very good question, because I think what I've seen is that people in the U.S. are jumping to to uh, like far into fast into uh, mindfulness and stuff like because i think that's very popular which is to like just sit quietly and watch the rising and passing of thoughts or to sit without thought but uh, but if you go back to our like the ancient scriptures in buddha buddhism and yoga from which meditation actually originated meditation follows a bit of a pyramid mm-hmm. and the foundation of the pyramid is call it the morality practices. Morality is basically, you know, self-love, love for others. And then it goes up to concentration-based meditation where you concentrate on an external object or an image or your breath and you are willfully training your mind to go from scattered to one-pointed through the two, through the means of an external object. And, and then you get into the insight or mindfulness-based approaches when your mind is stable enough, then you get into trying to make it thoughtless or or not even trying to just observe the nature of the mind as it is which is the constant arising and passing of thoughts but if you just jump to that versus reaching a little bit of a stability in your mind first you'll typically not kind of build a successful practice so my recommendation to answer your question is to start with a concentration based approach use uh, either your breath so sit like sit quietly uh, for 30 minutes, you know, and or, or th- like whatever time frame you choose in the morning and evening with your eyes closed and just observe one thing, which is whether your breath coming in and out of your nose or an image, like a friend of mine is a musician, he focuses on the guitar, any image that uplifts you and focus it in in the middle of your eyes or whatever, like in uh, or in your heart, any, any particular point or a mantra any of these external objects as a tool to reach that point of thoughtlessness by just concentrating your energy on one point. But you shouldn't jump from no meditation to like mindfulness. Like I think that is too big a leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So making small jumps, small changes. Yeah. I think that's a big theme of really everything. So what is the best place for people to find out more information about you? I know you've got a lot of great videos on your website and things like that. What's the best place for, um, you know, more information about your books and about what you're doing? Great. Yeah. So I blog extensively about meditation and how to start and continue a meditation practice as well as how to get a publishing deal and, uh, and writing advice on my website, which is www.karanbajaj.com, K-A-R-A-N-B-A-J-A-J.com. And, uh, and, and I also offer a free meditation video course there if you go to karanbajaj.com slash about. Uh, so I think that's a great place to start. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here today and being part of the Year of Purpose podcast. And we appreciate you sharing your story. Sifan, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, it's Zeph. Did you like this episode? Be sure to subscribe so that you can tune in next week and tell a friend about the show. If you want access to free training and exclusive interviews on success, happiness, lifestyle design, and adventure, visit me at yearofpurpose.com. Until next time, go out and let life surprise you so that you can live a life rescripted. scripted